AI, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends in the world of AI machine learning. Today, we're excited to introduce you to a revolutionary platform that is changing the game in the recruitment industry. Talent Ascend is utilizing the power of artificial intelligence to improve the recruitment process. AI has the potential to revolutionize recruitment by automating repetitive tasks, improving candidate matching, and reducing bias. By leveraging machine learning algorithms, Talent Ascend can analyze large amount of data to identify the best candidates for a job based on the candidate's skill, experience, and qualifications. This eliminates the use of the resume, cover letter, and application. Another benefit of AI in recruitment is reducing bias. Talents Ascent can help eliminate bias by removing identifying information such as name, gender, and age, defining aspects that are typically found on an application. This can help ensure that candidates are evaluated solely on their qualifications and experience, leading to a more diverse and inclusive workforce. Talent Ascent is an excellent example of how AI can be used to improve the recruitment process. By leveraging cutting edge technology and a commitment to diversity and inclusion, they are making it easier for job seekers and hiring managers to find the right fit. Hashtag AI for DEI. So with that, let's get started, Lucky. Yeah, that's good stuff. You know, helping identify the right talent for the right position is key. And having the right technology like Ascend is fantastic. You know, we had her on here and she was really able to give us a better understanding of her technology and how AI applies. And it's it's been a, a fantastic use case. So thank you for that. And definitely technology changing the way we do business. Today, I'd like to thank, thank David Ramirez. Uh, for coming on uh, to our show and, and giving us a better understanding of what he does and and how he affects the marketplaces with AI. And welcome, David. Um, Excited to be here. Yeah, fantastic. So one thing is, you know, when we start the program, uh, I'd like to just let welcome you to our show by starting by by saying, AI, 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 <laughs> AI. welcome. <laughs> AI, AI, AI. There you go. <laughs> aye, 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 aye. There you go. Now we're all in. Now we're all in. Now we're ready to play. The pot is good. <laughs> so, so David, David tell us. Oh, I'm sorry, Asif. You know, if you want to give a little bit more of an introduction, but David, tell us more. Yeah, please, David. Uh, sure. Um, so I work in the the deep learning and computer vision, um, building solutions usually for defense and government, and um, excited to talk about that. Um, I'm also um, very involved in the military veteran uh, mentoring um, for technology, and um, I'll be excited to talk about that. Um, and uh, I'm, I've been working on my um, PhD in engineering for a few years now. Um, so uh, just a lot of under uh, education under my belt, and I like to like push that out as best I can, teaching others informally and. Uh, um, uh, supporting um, Asif here and just just um, excited to be here. 
Absolutely. I think one one uh, identified uh, possibilities in the veterans community is that um, how do how does the other veteran educate themselves and then help educate other veterans? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you know something and you want to test out how well and how good you know it is by educating others. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a code for it, but I'm not going to try that because my brain is fried right now from <laughs> having a long day at work. Um, so. So, yeah, I think when you're educating somebody else about what it is that, you know, you catch yourself about what it is that you don't know or what else you have to master in. Um, so Lucky is the teacher in the room. So mm-hmm. we have a lot to learn from him. Um, so Lucky, let's let's get this conversation going, see how far we can take it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. David, it's fantastic that you mentor veterans. You know, I do the same thing. Um, there's always an opportunity to pay back. And I, and the way I look at it this way, you know, it's the old, I guess the old adage is you can, you can give somebody a fish mm-hmm. and help them eat that one moment. Or you can say, Hey, you know what, let me teach you how to fish and then they can take care of themselves. And then in turn, they can train others. And then you strengthen a community. You know, you make people better, at, you know, as far as being able to provide for themselves. And I and I feel the same way when it comes to the veteran population and, you know, having to come out from a specific service and then retool themselves is, is hard. Mm-hmm. And to have somebody there to say, hey, you know what? It's not as hard as you think it is. And if it is, this is the best way to do things and to get to your goals. This is what I can do to help you. And mentoring people is the best way you can give back. So, you know, kudos to you. And without saying kudos, man, you know, you're an amazing person by doing that. And thank you. But can you tell us more about the things that you do with deep learning? Because typically we, we touch on the outside of what AI is, but we never get in the weeds. So can you just give us a little bit of understanding of, you know, what deep learning is as opposed to what you see in, in, in machine learning and AI, or do you see that as all of the same thing? Can you just give us how you see uh, deep learning and AI? So that's potentially like a long discussion topic, but at the high level, it's like people, people say AI, um, maybe in the business world, maybe in the, the government world, people are calling things AI, um, and that's fair uh, most of the time. Um, people are saying machine learning, AI and machine learning. Um, where's, the, where's the differentiator between AI and machine learning? Well, maybe there's a lot of overlap these days. Um, uh, where is deep learning and all of that? Well, I would say it's typically um, for analyzing like um, – complex pieces of data like imagery and video, um, like um, text, um, a chat bot and things, that's often going to be driven by deep learning um, these days. Uh, so that's a lot of what I do is, is creating those sort of solutions. Um, deep learning um, is synonymous with neural networks. And all that is to say is you write some code and um, the code learns from some data and then you hope that it does what you want it to. So hope. <laughs> there, right? That's that's yeah. why um, my job hasn't been automated yet, right? It's because it's not an exact science. Um, there's right. still a lot of effort that goes into building these solutions, and it's it's not it's not simple. Yeah, hope hope uh, hope that it works is is uh, I think. A- running theme on on all the projects and yeah it, it's it's not only difficult 
Um, but it's rewarding at the end of the day because you learn so much about your organizational business process, right? And and you bring that subject matter to the to the surface because that subject matter expert that you were in probably before the project started. Now at the end of the project, you are like that gold, you know, that nobody can really say like, yep, David is the guy that has done all these and he understands the business process from perspective that nobody else probably has because this business has been running for the last 40 some years all of a sudden we have this new way of um, in, in inserting our data and uh, creating our output and david has that knowledge of know-how of all the different parts of the business process where the data came from so i, I think when i talk to uh, people that are in machine learning and deep learning or you know providing that ai capability to an organization I find them to be irreplaceable. I think, you know, like you said, I haven't been replaced yet, right? Um, and, and they joke about it. They said like, oh, text to text, text to video, text to image, text to AI, right? As in just from a prompt, you can create another AI to do, you know, new AI. Uh, well, look, uh, possibility is there, but doesn't mean you're, you're going to replace coding anywhere anytime soon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I'll try. Right. Uh, some reporter was, you know, yeah. making a report about um, how the coders will get replaced. So she went around interview people, and the program manager said, "Yes, uh, we are. We're working on that." Everybody goes clap, 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 and then they go to uh, somebody else in the business. Mm-hmm. They're like, "When will the coders be replaced?" They're like, "Oh, you know, in coming decades." And then they go to the coders, and the coders couldn't stop laughing. They're like, "I can't answer that because I can't stop laughing." That's mm-hmm. hilarious. People that don't know coding, people don't know much about developing AI. They will always come up with a theory of like, "Yeah." Text to AI, right? That's cool. It's coming. It's going to be here tomorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's all fun and game, but nobody really does that coding and develops a engineering of data. Uh, we'll be able to say that with a straight face, right? Um, <laughs> so thank you, David, for, uh, for, for that breakdown. I appreciate it. And um, tell us a little bit more about your journey uh, from, you know, um, your, your military active duty, correct? Yeah. Um, to, to the level that you're in right now, PhD, which is very inspirational, you know? Amazing. Nearly there. It's <laughs> Amazing. So, um, yeah, I was in the um, United States Marine Corps um, 2008 to 2012. So um, I think we were still in Afghanistan, um, still in Iraq in that time. Um, so to join up at that point, you're really expecting to go to combat or something, right? Um, to join the Marine Corps and every Marine's a rifleman. Um, first, usually. Um, but besides that, I was trained in uh, electronics um, as an electronics technician. So I learned um, radio systems and I learned um, soldering and electronic uh, electrical theory and um, um, spent my four years in the Marine Corps, um, tried to serve as best I could there in that time. I deployed with the Navy um, in a, in a reaction force um, uh, out to the Pacific, got to see a lot of the world. Um, but never really in a in a combat situation. Um, so I got out of the Marine Corps, um, took some of those skills, and electrical engineering was the sort of the, the closest fit to what I was trained to do. Um, and I, I I didn't know what engineering was at that point. Um, right, engineering in the military is is uh, digging in ditches and building bridges and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And to get out into academia into the university and to apply for engineering i didn't i didn't fully understand the um the amount of effort the struggle um 
that that is. That's one of the hardest degrees that you can do in, in a university, um, uh, perhaps. Um, maybe that's a biased opinion. Um, but there's very high math requirements, science, um, programming, and that's all before you get to the electrical engineering portion of that degree. Um, so really challenging stuff. Um, was able to scrape by and get it get it done. Um, uh, learned a lot. Um, met a lot of folks at um, my local university, um, which is uh, Arizona State, and um, they happen to have a very um, well-regarded engineering program. Uh, so. During that time, I was involved in a, uh, a National Science Foundation grant. Um, got some free money from the government to learn the basics of this new emerging field, um, neural networks and deep learning. Um, neural networks have been around for a while, but to apply them, um, to learn about them, and actually apply them to, to business problems back in um, 2014, that was fairly novel. Not a lot of people were doing that. And right. so, I was very lucky to get involved in AI research at that time, and I, I've sort of stuck with it ever since. Um, got I got very fortunate to be involved in it when I was. Um, completed the four-year degree, uh, stayed around for a master's degree, stayed around for a PhD. Um, all the while, I was uh, working a full-time job. Um, so uh, I'm still working full-time in engineering. Um, I am. Uh, I'm trying to get that PhD. I've been at it for more years than I care to say right now, um, but I'll get it one day. I uh, just got to keep working at it. It's, it's just one day at a time. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, been, been doing this stuff for a while. I've got uh, some, some, I've only worked for a few companies, um, been, been pretty loyal to the, the employers I've had, um, good employment experiences overall. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, um, been been very fortunate. Wow, when you bring so much to the table, <laughs> I wouldn't want you to go either. Wow, that that that's extensive experience, and and an area that has just recently blown up. You know, just mm -hmm. now, AI. You know, this year has become a household name with generative AI just leading the march. With you know, you have Stable Diffusion, Chat GPT. Now you're right. You know, you you you're not going to ever lose your job and I'm a form of developer of sort myself. I'm not going to lose my job anytime to chat GPT. I, I actually tested it to see they, they, there's an area where they say you can test it and see um, how it develops code. So mm -hmm. I was like, I'm curious. I was like, all right, let's do let's do one that I would give my students because um, I, I teach Python. I teach a lot of different courses. So I said, let me just see how it does. So I said, um, just to make it simple, uh, give me. I, I I said, give me randomize five different numbers between zero and seventy, no six different numbers and the uh, or five different numbers and the last number randomized between zero and twenty-five. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, I was just trying to get it to cre create a uh, a sample of a lottery picking, you know, application, you know, just a real si simple, you know, uh, random uh, number uh, generator, right? A number generator, yeah, exactly. It failed. <laughs> it failed. Uh -huh. Horribly, <laughs> I was like, "No, that's not it. That's not it." So I retried, and so I tried for hours for it to create, and it didn't, and so it missed the mark. But it did okay in the sense that if I would consider someone that didn't know anything about programming, and I said, "Do something," and then it output something that resembled code, it did. 
and and it was almost in the right structure, and it, and it it didn't give me any of the outputs, but it was it was semi impressive. But at the same time, I knew I'm not going to lose my job anytime soon right. to this guy. <laughs> Let me ask you, Lucky, if yeah. if you got that assignment turned in from a student, and that was the code that they submitted on their assignment, how would you grade that? Would that be a failure, or would oh, that yeah. be yeah? It was, oh yeah, it didn't work. The program it didn't, didn't work. Run, so it's an F. It's okay. an F. That's yeah. fair. And and I would and I would say to them, you know, way to use your resources, way to think outside of the box. I would have loved to have that feature when I was your age or whenever I was trying to figure things out. But you got to use that as a building block. Don't mm -hmm. submit that as final work. But hey, good job. Good try. And I let them know because I, I honestly I think that, you know, you're not going to know until you push the envelope. And sometimes you just got to see. And if they don't know, they're not going to know until they get called to the carpet. Lesson learned. Next time, do a little bit more work afterwards, and maybe it'll give you something to work off of. Because at the end, Asif and I have agreed, AI is great, but AI is not there to take over. It's there to help us make more intelligent, better decisions on how we do business. And so that is what AI, I think, was going to help us as far as taking over the world and uh -huh. you know finding better ways of making shoes. I'm not so sure about that, you know, but helping us make better decisions that's where we're at right now and take sure. advantage of that sure yeah and and to get get back to the earlier point programmers that i work with they're using these tools to be more effective to, to write better code um in in the academic setting in in research um i've i've worked with a lot of folks that are trying to make these systems better so they will write better code in the future and right. and there's certain benchmarks and um Many of them would would have differing opinions on uh, a simple problem. Maybe doesn't uh, deliver a successful solution. Um, it depends on which system you're using. It depends on the prompt. It depends on um, maybe what level of tier of um, of uh, maybe you're paying for chat GPT or something. Right? Mm -hmm. There's some factors that may influence the sort of output you get out of that. And maybe Chat GPT is the right tool for that. There's um, there's uh, a Visual Studio Code Copilot is another system that people are using. So that's that's integrated into an, an IDE, um, a development environment for for software engineering. And I've heard that that works pretty good, and I've seen it work pretty decent. Well, I <clears throat> so uh, you know we're talking about a student turning in an assignment. Mm -hmm. You know I'm I'm really in the middle of my life somewhere right and I, I appreciate the fact that somebody taught me with a compass to navigate around the woods right mm -hmm. and i lived I'm, I'm a digital immigrant and i think i've adopted to technology sometime after i was born not i was born into technology so uh, i remember the other day um it it was it was a hard moment of reality because my Google went down. I'm driving and my Google map is not working. Okay, all right, Google map, I have iPhone, I'll go to my iMap, right? Well, iMap is not working. So just imagine the, 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 the anxiety that I'm going through as I'm driving the car. I'm just like, I'm in the highway, I'm okay as long as I keep driving straight. But once I get off that exit, I have no idea where else to go after that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the reason I say my age is because I'm thinking to myself, like, this must be the, the, the depression inducing for somebody who's been 
digital native, as in they were born into Google Maps, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So when you're talking about coding from the scratch, I had a little chill down my spine. I was like, you mean you want me to write hello again? That was really hard. <laughs> I don't want to do the, anything from scratch. Hello scrap. world. <laughs> Give me 70% of the coding. I will do maybe the 30% of the coding after five years of trying. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm, I'm trying to tell you that I'm a bad coder. I've tried coding, never worked for me. Um, so I mean like that, that ability to recall your memory. I appreciate that. That ability to say like, this is the logic. This is where the, uh, the, the, the language that I'm typing in and how it gets translated through Linux you know, kernel and then how that kernel is able to push that out in zeros and ones. That, that, that ability to do that, that common sense of saying like, it's just not about writing a language. It's the art of writing the language in a, such a way that when that zeros and ones goes through your semiconductor chips is not billions, but rather few millions, right? There's a difference in your ability to compile that coding, right? And and execute that in, in a fast fashion without consuming that much power. So so there's an art behind it. And I, I so appreciate Lucky bringing that up. And, and David, you're hitting on it. Um, I, I, I got to say, as a as a person who's who's learned to navigate and not able to recall that navigation skills while I was driving. I mean, uh, my excuse is that I, I, I haven't really lived in a city long enough to learn about that city, but it felt pain inducing. It was just like, wow, what is happening? What do I do next? You know, I have no way to move around the city and I don't want to pull over and waste a few minutes because I want to get there on time. Right. Um, <laughs> Maybe another point. Jason. <laughs> Another point that adjacent to what you're saying is um, a lot of the, the students going through university education right now or going through high school, they're using these tools that are emerging, the chat GPT. And if you suddenly took that away or if you don't have access to that in your in your day job or something, let's say you worked in a classified area and there's no AIs allowed in the classified area. Um, can you do your job still? Can you do it well? Do you have a foundational understanding to still operate um, without those advanced tools. And when, when I was in um, growing up in high school, smartphones were not a thing yet, right? Nobody, you couldn't cheat uh, by Googling it in the test room because you didn't have a smartphone, but, mm-hmm. but everybody had calculators, right? So like, can you, can you still operate in your job as an engineer without a calculator? Well, this is getting pretty far back in time. People mm-hmm. did at one point, but, People are using the tools that they got, and they, they try to use them uh, whenever they can uh, to the best of their ability. So, yeah, I used to cheat at calculus with my <laughs> with my calculator because I would save everything, <laughs> and I was not a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a problem back then because you were just called resourceful. <laughs> you, you you had TI in your hand, right? Yes, Texas I did. Uh-huh. And, and you know what? You bring up a great point. I saw this, and not to reach out into a different, uh, uh, I, I'm not into social media, but I saw on YouTube a TikTok video. Mm-hmm. And they had a, uh, a couple of uh, girls from Southern California, and they gave them a math equation. And it was one of those moments where I, I saw my daughter and I saw her friend, and their whole lives they had a phone. And they they were used to having okay what's that what's okay and it was real it was yeah. you're gonna laugh how silly is this two times two times one equals yeah well certainly but the tool these days is Alexa what is two times two times exactly one? Right. and so right. 
Oh gosh, oh, she hears it. She, she's yeah. in the other room. She's always listening. He's like, "What do you? What? Hold on, I hear you, David." <laughs> I wasn't listening prior to this. I just woke up. Sorry. What was that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear anything else, David, except for Alexa. <laughs> two times two times one. <laughs> right. There's. I mean, there's certainly privacy issues using tools like that, but they are convenient for a lot of yeah. things. So you give up some level of privacy for the convenience. But um, yeah, I mean. People are always worried about the new tool, right? People, mm -hmm. people aren't getting the right level of education, this or that. Um, maybe there's some credence to that. Maybe, maybe there's not enough people getting deep technical education in, in engineering or like a deep technical understanding of IT or, um, or, or business analytics or something, right? Because it's maybe, maybe they don't have, they're not getting um, the introductory experience that they, that they need to take interest in those things um i don't know and and, and I, I want to i want to bring up of course what talents ascend is trying to accomplish which is to write your soft skills and your hard skills from military and convert that into a civilian language from military language to civilian language right so that way when civilians are looking at your resume they're not reading the jargons from military but they're reading the jargons that are civilian uh accepted in civilian side of the language right um, so I'm not, I'm not pivoting so much away from what it is that we're discussing. I'm, I'm adding the veteran piece to that. Like what, look, I, I guess I, I will brag about myself. Like I said, I had to navigate around the woods using a compass, right? That was part of not just your, uh, training, but you have to do that in order to just to stay up to date with your uh, on-job training, right? They have to sign you off and say like, you know, you're still proficient in navigating using a compass. Right, um, that Even without GPS, right? Because military that? is relying on GPS these days. Military is relying on GPS, yes, and we have to talk about that, right? Because when you think about a military veteran, how they are taught, what they are taught, right, is a little more, a little bit more technical in 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 that teaching, right? As in, we do go um deep into the technology to say, like, you know, if you're a radio man, you have to understand every piece of that radio. Right. Not that, you know, you'll break it apart and, you know, put it together, but you have to understand how this infrastructure is working out on your on your behalf. So if you have a radio in hand and you're know, trying to communicate a few miles down the road, you have to understand what obstructs the radio signal. Right. And, and have to work around that. So that's just one example. Right. If you're a tank commander, if you're a truck driver or you have like all this logistics that's moving around, you have to understand the logistics so you can perform your mission, specifically the job that you have to do in order to provide other soldiers or other airmen the safety that they need, right? Because if you don't do your job, they're in danger. So there's that priority that the military sets for you. And then it teaches you all those things that you have to know about the infrastructure. And when you get out to the civilian world, you, you bring that technology understanding to the table, right? And that technology table translates to all the other technology. And, and, and this is what I mean by that. When I talk to military veterans and specifically, uh, David, I told you that um, we want to promote the idea that other military veterans or military active duty that are considering leaving the military um, to, to look into AI machine learning as a job, right? Mm -hmm. Earlier I said, when you work on AI machine learning for a business process, you bring a perspective that lots of the, lots of the individuals that has been working on that business process for a very long time that are siloed in, they don't get to see, right? Because they don't come up to the surface long enough to see what else is going on in that business process, right? If it's a multinational or if it's like, you know, a business that's running in 50 different states, 
they don't really see what goes on in that organization um, because they're performing their duty continuously in, in that silo, right? But when you are a military veteran, you bring that soft skill and you bring that priority and urgency to understanding how machine learning works. And you get to see the business from a level that nobody else gets to see because you're collecting data from each of those silos and you understand the difference between um, the quality of data and what are the, some of the concerns that you bring to the table. So like, look, you know, this silo, uh, New York does great, but Vermont is just terrible, right? Like their data is just not working out for us. We have to do something about that. Right. Um, so the, the, this kind of perspective that military veterans bring to the table, I think they all combined are a good transition for a military veteran. Right. As in, OK, you've been out of military for a while or you're thinking about getting out of military for, um, for, you know, for next few years or whatever. As you're preparing, look into AI machine learning world because your soft skills, that ability to understand technology from the depth that is not probably being taught in schools anymore. As a military veteran, you bring that to the table. That's your oh, the real the real world perspective. It's like maybe you they teach you cherry on top, but but this is maybe how it was when I was out there in the field, and this was the cause of my problem. Like you said, the line of sight of the radio, there were trees in the way or whatever. Um, so that's one thing. But you can bring a lot of skills out of the military, and a lot of those are really valuable. The, the foundation that I got in um, in electronics theory and communication, wireless communication theory, all that stuff was really valuable. But employers, and um, they're not going to consider you until you've got that educational component. And I don't think um, that's talked about enough in the military is um, uh, these days you really need that four-year degree or at least some sort of um, associates in technology before um, – that military piece can combine well with the um, the basic qualifications of the job, because a, a lot of companies they just don't won't consider you. You don't have the degree; they won't, you're you're not up for consideration. You could be the the most bright, intelligent, well-educated military person on the job training, um, extracurricular training, um, educational, um, uh, not uh, non-professional improvements and that sort of stuff. But if if you don't have the four-year degree, it makes it really challenging for a for an employer to hire you these days. Um, so that is a big piece. Yeah, I think that the real world experience that you mentioned. Look, you you can put somebody in the class for four years, and then you can put somebody out in the field for four years. They will come back with two different mentality, right? Um, yeah. How do you achieve a task? You know, what is the mission here? What is the priority? Uh, this sort of engagement with other um, human lives at stake, I think, creates that military veterans in a different different clay of shape, right? Uh, shape of clay, you know. Um, so, look, I, I'm I'm not I'm not putting down anything about anybody here, right? I want to make that clear. I see a lot of military veterans; they want to get out of military and do project management, right? Mm -hmm. Fine. I think that's perfect. That's really required a, a job in all the business organizations, right? Um, but there's other fish on the sea, right? So you want to catch a job that is not project management related, but you have the flexibility of thinking like, okay, maybe I don't want to do project management. What else can I do? Um, the intimidation comes from the fact that, okay, look, I have seen a bunch of people that does coding on Netflix and that's how they do data science and machine learning, right? I want to break that. I want to break that and say, like, no, it's not all about just coding. AI machine learning is a lot about common sense and understanding how humans behave 
and how the machine should behave, right? Because you want to get to a point with AI where AI is able to provide you with a service where the humans don't even feel like, uh, or the humans are not even able to detect the fact that AI is providing that service, not a human, right? Because it's very seamless, right? Um, so, so that's why I say that the, the, when you're transitioning out of military or you already transitioned, but you're already doing a job that you're not satisfied with and you're looking for a better career path, AI machine learning is not only because you can do the job in AI machine learning, there's plenty of opening for you in AI machine learning world. It's just that in the future, your threat is not AI. Your threat is people that are using AI. As in, if you do a job and you do the job very manually and you have very least amount of AI uh, associated with it, not all of the job, but majority of the jobs will have some sort of impact by an AI. So your real threat is the is the people with AI that will uh, take over your job versus you know um, somebody without AI, right? Um, so, so I just want to put that out there clearly. The automation component. Is, is the world is becoming more automated. Things can, people can do things more efficiently with some automation. Um, you wanna be out ahead of this technology, maybe driving some of that automation. If you're the one implementing the automation, that, that's some job security for you. Um, but the educational component is really important there. Um, so that's how you differentiate yourself. And that's how you break into the field, I think. It is challenging to break into the data science and machine learning field because um, there is no entry level entry point. Um, just be honest with that. Is there's no entry level position for a data scientist. Um, you have to already be an expert in. We use the radio systems example before. You need to be a, an a, an expert in radio systems and then have the educational component for the AI and machine learning. If you can bring those two fields together, now you've got something really valuable. Wow, and exactly. and now you've got the. Um, the edge in the job market, which is becoming more competitive these days. Um, when, when I first started in the industry, um, nobody knew the skills that I've got. And so I was very employable. Um, it's become more prevalent and people are teaching it in, in academia. People are getting those in their four-year degrees, maybe even in their two-year degrees. Mm -hmm. And there, there are plenty of people in the entry level, um, but to differentiate yourself, and you can as a military veteran, um, You've got to have both the real world experiences and the educational component. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen that a lot in my students and, and I and I always make sure to let them know, like, look, I, I've struggled. <laughs> I, I've I don't have a degree, you know, um, and I've I've achieved maybe sometimes there's some that kind of. Um, eh, well, I'd say that I was blessed in life. But you're right to your point. There is no clear path for someone that's going to be an AI engineer or not say engineer. Somebody that's going to work in with an AI machine language, uh, deep learning. And unless you've been and this is my my understanding of 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 data science is um, you had to have been one of those guys that worked on databases that happened to be like in 2000 to 2004 that jumped into like analytics and 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 you're able to understand that machine language or deep learning is just the next level of analytics you know it, it except for the fact that now you're taking what you, you didn't know what you were looking for is the difference where in analytics you knew what you were looking for well, with machine learning 
you don't know what you have until you look at the data and you run it through some kind of um, algorithm per se, you know, statistically, yeah. you're trying to figure out, okay, what am I not seeing here? And, and then you start to develop, okay, so where do I fit in machine learning? Where do I fit in AI? But it's, it is not, there isn't a clear path. You just have to be one of those guys that happens to like databases. And then from there, your data sources become your main source of, okay, what do I do with this? And then mm -hmm. if it turns into something then you do, but it's not, like you said, it's, there, there is no clear path. You have there had to be in that area. And even still, I have people that are in that area that are that are intimidated by AI. They're like, no, 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 no. You know, I understand data warehousing, data marts, analytics, the AI portion of it. Uh, I, I don't want to get into that. And the, and the apprehension only because they think that they're possibly going to lose their job to an AI process or something. At the end of the day, they don't realize that, you know, AI is just going to be another tool in the tool belt. It, and then I say AI, machine learning, like what's the capabilities we have in the cloud now with ML, you have a lot of statistical methods of being able to turn data, data and data lakes into something that means something, whether it be security, whether it be in the medical field, it, they're, they're learning to turn it. And when I look at it, it was, it was difficult to put together an analytical data warehouse it takes years took me two years to put together my first data warehouse two years analytics and the cloud and data lakes they take the novice guy into all of a sudden into expert type of data outputs and that's hard to beat you know i know how long how challenging and how much learning i had to do for two years to get it right i see it now it's just it's so much easier the tools are better these days let's say yeah. businesses are offering better tools and things there's a there's a lot much more robust open source community supporting these um, different tool chains and things. Yeah. But one of the points that you made earlier, which which is um, at the at the turn of the century, big data was all the rage, right? Collect all the data, get whatever you can, search results, marketing, all of this. People were trying their best to utilize it back then. They were saying, "All right, we're going to do statistical number crunching and we're going to find trends and stuff." That's still the role of the analyst. The analyst is trying to take away knowledge from data. They're trying to derive some sort of knowledge so, so leaders can make better decisions. That's the analyst's role. The data scientist or the machine learning engineer, let's, say, let's start with data scientists. The data scientist is trying to take that data and develop some sort of automation component, which is um, I have these data. I'm going to combine it with a couple other data sources, and now I've got some sort of detection system where I can automatically detect fraud. Um, I'm not trying to pull knowledge out of data anymore. I'm trying to do an instant sort of um, detector system or an instant classifier system or an instant translation system to go from English to Spanish or, or something like that. It's the automation component. Part of that job is definitely coding. Um, the role of the machine learning engineer is about making that fast and scalable so you can push it into different environments and everybody and their mom can get immediately re uh, results from Alexa, right? Um, so so there are definitely roles for coders, um, for algorithms experts, for people who know data, um, for people who know customer problems. Um, there's so many different roles within just the few that I described right there um, that uh, that there is employment opportunities for a lot of different folks. 
Um, but but becoming well educated or exciting enough that somebody will be willing to give you a shot in one of those roles, how are you going to do it besides ed education? Uh, so David, uh, quick time act. How how many more minutes do you think you have left? Um, yeah, we're at, we're at the top of the hour here. Um, I can keep going for a little bit longer. There's a, there's a couple of plugs here. I'm yeah. not selling anything, but there are a couple of plugs that I like to oh, make. Oh, we need the plugs. Please sure. go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe. Sure. So for, for military veterans um, who are trying to drive their career into technology as they transition out of the military, uh, Veterati, um, as you know, uh, Asif, is, is really valuable for that. You can make con connections with folks. Um, Veterati, the website, sign up, it's free. Um, you can go reach out to um, subject matter experts in a variety of different fields, any field you could possibly think of and, and try to get um, some time with them to speak. Um, so that's a great opportunity. For people who are specifically interested in data science and machine learning, um, I'm one of the organizers for the free and volunteer professional group, um, Veterans in Data Science and Machine Learning. Um, so you can look us up online on LinkedIn. Um, all volunteer force of people. Um, we take very, very small uh, membership fees, um, only if you're able to pay. And, and that helps us just deliver more content to folks, to give away free prizes, to, to give away um, uh, scholarship opportunities for military veterans trying to get into this field. So that's the second plug there. And then um, finally, uh, if you listen to this and, and you are um, interested in doing more speaking opportunities, um, I just started a new um, presentation um, opportunity at my work. Uh, it's not a podcast. It's a, it's a sort of speaking engagement thing for technical experts. So if, if you, if you want to present um, uh, to a technology company, um, whatever, whatever your background is, um, I'd love to connect with you on that. Um, so that, that's, that's my piece. Um, I think one lesson I've learned uh, when I got out of military is look for the other military guys. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know it's silly. I know it's sort of like, you know, clickish, right? Like, oh, in high school, look for look for the guys that you can be friends with, right? <laughs> but it's different world out here. Once you get out of military, you're looking to get into the professional world. Trust me, trust me, trust me. You want to get into the crowd where they accept military veterans. You are appreciated. You're valued that much more. Um, I can tell you from my experience. Maybe it's different for somebody else who hasn't had that experience. But for me, it's been amazing to have that camaraderie after you get out of military, uh, to have that feeling of brother, uh, brotherhood. It's, it's just perfect, right? Um, yeah. so Veterati, again. Do Veterati, please do. Just check it out. Have a, create a LinkedIn profile if you don't have one and get into Veterati. Even and, if you're not a military veteran, if you would like to help military veterans with their career, please do volunteer. Please do volunteer at Veterati. And then you have a Ted Helms group, right? Mm -hmm. They have their own podcast. My goodness, those podcasts are fire, right? Like if if you don't know where you want to go in life, right? Be it project manager or be it something you want to do outside of military. Or even if you're in military, let's say you are assigned to MIT Accelerator for Air Force, right? You want to learn about AI machine learning. Look at that uh, LinkedIn group and check out their uh, podcast called Data Canteen, right? Mm -hmm. Amazing podcast. 
Um, and, and as far as your uh, you know, networking with military veterans goes, right? Um, when you're searching for jobs and you're on LinkedIn, right? You type in recruiters and then you start connecting with the recruiters. Well, instead of typing in just recruiters, look into military recruiters. Mm-hmm. Or if you're looking at the corporations that you're specifically targeting, look up who's the military veteran within that organization. So mm-hmm. if David is veteran in his organization, reach out to David, right? Or reach out to the military recruiter within David's corporation, right? Uh, or organization. Um, just so much to learn. But guess what, guys? It just boils down to the point of getting back to your brotherhood where, you, you know, you mm-hmm. you... You, you've done so much in military, right? And the only reason you've done it is because of the military guys that were next to you. I didn't do it for a paycheck. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I did not do this for a paycheck. Maybe I did it for the uh, VA benefits, which is a whole other ballgame, right? We can talk about VA benefits uh, with somebody who, who, who does VA benefits um, uh, for the uh, VA and, and have them come to the podcast. We're not going to talk about it today. But look, I definitely did it for the guys that are, left and right of me because we went through boot camps together. We're, we're like brothers. We're still like 20 years later, we're still talking, right? We're still, you know, um, having that camaraderie inside and outside of the military. So, yeah. And with all that said, with all that said, David, the reason I asked you for your time is because I'm not going to let you get off this podcast without talking about semiconductor chips. Okay. All right. <laughs> we always got to talk about it. <laughs> All right. Well, here, I'll give a quick little thing just so we can check the box there. So um, over the past several years, um, I've been in academia, right? Neural networks are becoming more popular. Machine learning and deep learning are becoming more popular. Um, there, there was That was all brought about because of um, people using NVIDIA video graphics cards for computations, right? And that was a novel thing to do back in 2012. Um, uh, nobody was doing that yet. And um, so now people are starting to develop um, purpose-built um, semiconductor ships that will do specific machine learning operations, um, that will do specific neural networks and things like that. And um, that is more power efficient. It's faster than doing it on GPU. Um, there, It's, it's going to be a big enabler. You're starting to see it um, as little small components baked into processors, right? The Apple Silicon, the the M1 chip, some of that is driven by um, AI and machine learning um, execution. They want to be able to execute those sort of code instructions quickly. Um, Then you have other purpose-built semiconductor chips for, let's say, the Amazon Alexa or um, the Fitbit on your wrist or this or that, right? All of these are driven by machine learning um, decision processes these days. And so having a, a chip that'll support that to be power efficient and, and fast um, is a whole industry in, in and of itself. So first you got to learn electrical engineering, then you got to get a job at, in a semiconductor chip manufacturer, but then you can start to bring in some supplementary knowledge in AI and machine learning. And, and now you've got those two pieces, the subject matter expert piece and then the AI piece, and you can start fusing those together to do great things. Um, so education. Yeah, and I, I, I would add to that piece that um, if you have that mindset where you want to be in cutting edge technology, well, nothing gets more cutting edge than working on a device that is about atom size wide, 
right? Mm -hmm. and, and that atom size wide space is how you are able to perform with neural network, right? So when you look at semiconductor chips, you know, it plays into the PPA, which is your performance, your power, and your area. So smaller the area, better the power, uh, less the power consumption, better the performance, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the goal. So when I say atom size, it's getting to the point where, you know, if you cut it a little bit more, you're going to get the actual silicon atoms um, uh, size uh, semiconductor chips, right? So, so... They're they're getting down small. What are they call nano wafers now. Well, they call nano wafers. It's getting to the point where you can count out the number of atoms in each in each substrate level, and um, it's it's getting down into like the dozens of of how small the atom um, counts are, how thin these things are. So it is very small. Very you're small. Not, you're not going to go below the size of an atom, and people are hitting that limitation right now. Um, and, and they're, they're, they're finding workarounds. How do you go smaller? How do you go from being a flat chip to a three-dimensional chip, to a more three-dimensional chip? Um, so there's, there, there's a lot of innovation still in, um, in the electronics industry. And, and you know, the reason it's worth noting that for veterans or anybody, actually, you know, if you're, look, if you're an organization thinking that, you know, we're looking to do machine learning, and all of a sudden you realize that your specific industry task requires you to have these sort of chips that you cannot actually have out in the cloud. You have to have it built in-house because of the, you know, the levels of activities that you have to perform and sensitivity of it, right? Um, you know, you cannot have a tank roll by next to your facility and expect the semiconductor chips to work perfectly, right? Um, <laughs> so it's the vibration and all these things matters. Um, so. When I say that, I, I, I want to add the piece about how many efforts are being generated uh, in 2023 and for the last 10 years or so on bringing back the semiconductor chips industry back into the U.S. soil, right? Oh, because yeah. it is so sensitive. These these chips, not sensitive as in vibration sensitive, as in sensitive in supply chain planning wise, right? Mm -hmm. We have to develop the semiconductor chips within our backyard. So that way, if David uh, creates that next level of AI machine learning and he needs that chip from uh, Ohio, Idaho, or New York, right? He can just drive up there and pick them up on his self and put it back in his car and just drive back to Arizona, right? But right now, you have to depend on China. You have to depend on Taiwan. Taiwan. Yeah. Specifically, say Taiwan, because if the Chinese ships are able to block that shipment to come into California or coming into New York, your project, whatever you have designed, it just went down the water, right? Down the toilet. Um, you, you want to be able to manufacture this in-home uh, where you have easy access to semiconductor chips to make your AI machine learning function, right? So the, the, no matter what sort of semiconductor chips we are developing, we are looking to bring that industry back all into the U.S. So that way we have a good supply chain planning uh, and a secure supply chain planning. All good points, um, but we still re re rely upon raw materials from other nations. So just having the manufacturing in the U.S. is not enough. Um, right. You can't really uh, force these materials into the ground because you want them on American soil doesn't mean they will be. So right. we still have to play nice with the nations and, and that's part of diplomacy. Um, outside of my area of expertise though. <laughs> well, when it comes to that rhetoric and politics, it's out of all our nerds' expertise. We see logical ones and zeros. That's another level. That's like what we consider 
layer eight in the OSI model. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> layer seven, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm, that's too far for me. Layer eight, nah, cut it layer off. Eight, look, layer eight is, a, is something not defined. It's mushy and no one knows what it is, but there is a layer eight. And it has to start with like politics and rhetoric. I have no clue what that is. Like that's another language. Or, or, or comment section on a YouTube video or Facebook, right? <laughs> that's the, that's uh, layer eight. Um, I, I think just to you know finish that up, right? What's happening is because all these manufacturers are moving back into the U.S. Uh, Intel has a huge effort in Arizona. You have on semi in New York um, and um, Texas have Samsung. Uh, TSMC and from Taiwan is uh, working in Texas as well. So what's happening is that we don't have the expertise that we need to work in these factories. So we're developing this expertise. So if you're a veteran and you're listening, or if you have a veteran in your life that you would like them to become aware of these uh, situations in manufacturing shop floors or fab, as they call it, that are coming into the U.S., well, they're opening up lots of opportunity for veterans. For example, Texas Instrument up in uh, North Dallas they're bringing in military veterans to come in and work for semi, um, for Texas Instrument in their new factory for six months, right? Yeah. Sponsoring that. Um, so, so there's needs for experts, not necessarily experts. They have to come in as an expert, but they will become expert over time because the amount of people that we have leaving the workforce in semiconductor chips uh, industry, we, we need to replace that. We need to have younger generation get involved in mathematics, engineering, and, and all things related to the fab and semiconductor manufacturing. So as a military veteran, there's a specific target for that. White House has put out $52 billion in CHIPS Act to have you know support for the industries to develop manufacturing in the U.S., the fab in the U.S. And part of that is training. Lots of the um, investment will go into the training uh, for whoever wants it. So if you have a VA, a VA GI Bill and you have um, vet tax program or you have the, um, uh, the other ones i forgot the vrbi right mm -hmm. um, all those programs that you have you can also look into you know becoming uh, subject matter expert in this field which for next 30 to 40 years right um, yeah. it's something it's, to look it's, it's a great point that you're making is there are employment opportunities right now in manufacturing and that's an entry-level position um, but to get up to that next level the engineering piece where you're doing design um is going to require more training absolutely and use your va benefit for that right um go to school you get your voc rehab that's what i was thinking not vrbi voc rehab uh mm -hmm. you get your housing allowance paid for so that's like almost you know some of your salary right um so you could pick a job that is entry level and supplement yourself with the uh, uh, housing allowance to to you know sustain yourself until you get to that level of engineering and you're able to make more money right um so you see i was practicing that whole yeah, thing in my head i was like ah, i gotta gotta get it all in point while david is here so he can back me up on this <laughs> great great point he's been oh, waiting for point. you david he's been waiting oh, yeah. for you <laughs> we had we haven't had too many people that can break it down like you and and so he, he he's been he's he's been waiting for this moment in our podcast to, to happen <laughs> <laughs> Look at him, uh, ear you, to you, ear, Cheshire cat and a half. <laughs> yeah, you, you can have somebody who calls himself an AI machine learning expert or something, but but like, where are the bona fides, right? You're maybe you're just a uh, you're an expert in marketing for these products, or you're an expert in business, or you're an expert in programming or something. It's hard to be an expert in so many different disciplines, and 
and I still am, am not comfortable calling myself an expert in, in maybe more than the small piece that I know about. Yeah, it's like a person wearing a scrub and calling himself the nurse or a doctor, doctor or a surgeon or the you know specialist in the head, right? Or you're just an asylum seeker. Um, what is it called? People from a <laughs> mental hospital or something that escaped the mental hospital wearing a scrub, you know? Uh, so you can be a lot, a lot of things, you know, not a subject matter expert. <laughs> David, so, um, you're, you're wise beyond your years, my friend. You are so amazing. I have to be honest with you. You know, some people are quick to put on the hat and say, you know what? I am it. The buck stops here. And it takes a, a rational person that knows himself well to say, you know what? I'm not the expert, even though you know more than probably 98% of the population. So, Kudos to you. Thank you for what you do. Um, and I, I hope that we can have you on again, uh, maybe in the near future, and, and maybe we can elaborate on any one of the topic areas we touched on. But thank you for today. You've been sure. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've enjoyed this. This went great. Thanks. Well, thanks well, well, David, you know, you, you can you, you, you can explain yourself with some words or with the, just the energy of how do you feel? Is it? But is it kind of like, ay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just joking. It's been great. It's been great. Let's do it again sometime, guys. At this point, it's ay, yeah, yeah. I'm just hungry, guys. Come on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lucky. Uh, it's been great. Um, looking forward to the next uh, episode of ay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys.